All right, folks. Let's dive into 2 Corinthians tonight. We're going to pick it up in chapter 8, verse 16. 2 Corinthians chapter 8 and verse 16. While you're turning there, let's sort of remember where we're at as far as what's happening in chapter 8. And let's even go back to the very beginning that another title that I've given to the book of 2 Corinthians is Second Wind. That I believe that 2 Corinthians is a book inspired by God, written by the Apostle Paul, so that you and I, as we read it and as we study it and internalize it, we can have a renewed energy to continue what God has called us to continue. That many times throughout our life we get discouraged And the word in the New Testament for discouraged is that lack of renewal. And that God wants to renew our lives every day so that we don't get discouraged and filled with despair and hopelessness. And that's why Paul, earlier on in 2 Corinthians, said, Even if our outward man is dying, yet the inward man can be renewed day by day. And that's what God wants to do in our lives. So all through the book of 2 Corinthians, we're learning about second wind. How God gives us second wind. And last week we were talking about the fact that Paul is using some great examples to give us second wind. Because the background of this collection that's being taken up by churches all over for the saints in Jerusalem is remember those saints in Jerusalem had given up a lot to become followers of Christ. Many of them lost relationships, they lost family, they were ostracized. If they were business people, their businesses were sort of boycotted. Uh, Things became really hard for them and many of them became very poor. They lost a lot of material things because they chose to follow Christ. And so he's holding them up as an example of what kind of followers Christ is calling us to. And then he begins to talk to the Corinthians about the churches in Macedonia, because they got on board to take up a collection to send to the saints in Jerusalem to help them out and encourage them. And as we said last week, it's not like this collection was going to totally reverse their financial situation. But what it was going to do was give them a second win to continue. They they were going to be reminded that there were saints in other parts of the country, other parts of the world who had never heard about them or or never actually met them or seen them, but who had heard about their plight and who was willing to contribute in some way to say, hey, we're brothers and sisters in Christ. We are in this together. We are unified. We want to send this gift to somehow encourage you. So Paul's talked about the saints in Jerusalem. He talked about the Macedonian churches. And then he uses the Corinthian church. He he reminds them last week at the beginning of chapter 8 that they were the ones that got this whole collection started over a year ago. They were the ones that initiated and said, hey, we'd like to help our brothers and sisters out in Jerusalem. Let's get a collection started. And so Paul writes chapter 8 to remind them about that. Because again, remember last week we said that the collection was getting taken. And yet somewhere along the line in that year, the Corinthians, who were sort of the ones out there in front initiating everything, something happened. We don't know whether there was an economic downturn or something happened or whatever, but they weren't wrapping up that collection and bringing it to a close and bringing it to a completion like they needed to. Because Paul is going to tell us here even tonight that he's going to get ready and send sort of a small delegation to Corinth to make sure that they are prepared to give when the collection is taken. So that's sort of the historical backdrop of this. And we saw last week that part of what gives us a second win is having that spirit of generosity in our lives. That the word generosity means open-heartedness. And there's something about even when we're struggling ourselves, that when we get our eyes off of ourselves and get out of that pity party and we start looking at the needs of others and being sensitive to that, that somehow that's energizing. Even Jesus said it's more blessed to give than to receive. And remember last week we saw that Paul said the Macedonian Christians had been reduced themselves to beggary. And yet they were begging the apostles to be part of this collection. Beggars begging to give. But that's generosity. 
And so Paul is saying generosity and having that kind of heart where we go through life with an open hand rather than a clenched fist is something that's going to give us a second win. But he also attributes that the reason that they're so generous is because they've responded to the grace of God. That he starts out chapter 8 by saying this is all because of God's grace. God's grace is operating in your midst. And when you and I are open to God's grace... All kinds of things can happen. Things beyond ourselves, beyond our capability, and beyond the the natural human inclination to pull back whenever we're struggling or when we don't have. Instead, the grace of God opened up the hearts of the Macedonians, and they begged to be a part of this collection. Now, beginning in chapter 8, verse 16, Paul is talking to them about sending... Several people as a delegation to them, again, to sort of help them wrap this up. And I want to say this up front before we dive into this verse by verse tonight, that this passage reminds me of the uh, very famous company that used this as a tagline for their product, that when you care enough to send the very best type of thing. And to me, when I read this passage and studied this passage, that's exactly what Paul is doing that the people that Paul has assembled are people of the highest integrity, the highest caliber caliber people that there are. And it just reminds us that when we do anything for Christ, when we serve Him in any way, there remember, there are no small people in God's eyes. There are no small places. There are no small acts of service. That God is all about everything. He values everything. And uh, these folks, even though they were just, in a sense, coming to wrap up a collection for the saints in Jerusalem, they were the highest caliber people that Paul could find. So here's what Paul said, beginning in chapter 8, verse 16. But thanks be to God, who put in the heart of Titus the same devotion I have for you. Because he not only accepted our request, but since he was very eager, he is coming to you of his own accord. And we are sending along with him the other brother who is praised by all the churches for his work in spreading the gospel. In addition, this brother has also been chosen by the churches as our traveling companion as we administer this generous gift to the glory of the Lord himself and to show our readiness to help. We did this as a precaution so that no one should blame us in regard to this generous gift we are administering. For we are concerned about what is right, not only before the Lord, but also before men. And we are sending with them our brother, whom we have tested many times and found eager in many matters, but who now is much more eager than ever because of the great confidence he has in you. If there is any question about Titus, he is my partner and fellow worker among you. If there is any question about our brothers, they are messengers of the churches, a glory to Christ. Therefore, show them openly before the churches the proof of your love and of our pride in you. Now, also, as you study this passage, it's sort of hard to distinguish exactly how many other people Paul's talking about. Some believe he's talking about three others besides Titus. Some just think he's talking about two others besides Titus. But the point is that these individuals were the best of the best that Paul was sending to deal with this situation. Let's go back up to verse 16, though, and begin to see some things that Paul points out. First of all, notice that Paul is reminding the Corinthians that God is the one who put in the heart of Titus the same devotion that he had for them that now Titus has for them. And and it reminds us, because this is sort of a theme that runs throughout 2 Corinthians as well, that Paul wants us always to have a heart that is open to God, to what God wants to say, to what God wants to do, to make room for God to work in our lives. And many times that's going to be bringing certain people into our lives. Because we also have known from our study of 2 Corinthians that one of the things that gives us second wind in our lives is having the right people in our lives, the right relationships. They can truly be fuel for living. And Paul's saying that Titus was open to allow God to put the Corinthians in his heart. That, That Titus had made room for the Corinthians in his heart so that Titus felt the same way about the Corinthians that Paul did. 
one of the practical applications I was thinking about as I read and studied this verse is, who does God want to make room for in my life? Is there somebody that God is saying, Jeff, make room for them? Make room in your heart for them? And maybe it's even something to the degree of God wants to begin to knit your heart together with somebody else. That's what God had done with Paul to the Corinthians. That's what God was doing and had done with Titus to the Corinthians. He was literally knitting their hearts together so that they could serve Christ in a unified, special way. And Paul is saying, I want you to know that Titus was open to that. In fact, keep your finger there in 2 Corinthians and go back just to chapter 6 of 2 Corinthians. Let's be reminded of this principle that Paul talks about in 2 Corinthians chapter 6, verses 11, 12, and 13. When he tells the Corinthians here, we have spoken freely to you, Corinthians. Our heart has been opened wide to you. Our affection for you is not restricted, but you are restricted in your affections for us. In other words, Paul is saying... Because of the influence of the false teachers, you're pulling back. We're not pulling back. Our our heart is as open to you, Corinthians, as it's ever been. In fact, he goes on to say in verse 13, Now as a fair exchange, I speak as to my children, open wide your hearts to us also. It's one of the things that runs throughout 2 Corinthians. Because when you and I allow our heart to be open to the working of God, obviously we're going to be renewed We're going to get that second wind. And sometimes, by not closing off our heart to the working of God, God may choose to bring someone alongside of us in our life who will also be that encouragement, that refreshment, that right person in our life at the right time, again, to encourage us to keep on going. But if our hearts aren't open, then we're going to shut that off. And and listen, all of us have been hurt. All of us have been burned, all of us have been betrayed, but we've all got to get to that point where we allow our heart to be open to not only God and to the working of God, but to other people. Because many times the greatest encouragement God wants to bring into our lives is through the instrumentality of people. And we're going to see that again tonight here in 2 Corinthians. Then he goes on to say, I love this about Titus. In verse 17, back in chapter 8, he says, He not only accepted our request or our call for help, but since he was very eager, he is coming to you of his own accord. I wrote down here in my Bible, you know, serving the Lord should be our delight rather than duty. Not burdensome, but a source of great joy. And that was true of Titus. You know, Paul's saying, listen, I didn't twist... Titus's arm. I didn't make Titus come. All I had to do with Titus was just share with him what was going on and the need, and Titus was right there. I love the word eager. It literally means just a readiness of mind. It's like Titus was one of these Christians that he was just, he was always in a position in his life with God where he was ready to serve. Whatever that meant. It was like you could call on Titus and he was right there. God wants to build that kind of attitude and, and that kind of discipline and, and mindset into our lives as well. That, that no matter where we are in our walk with God, we're always ready to serve. And whatever need we may see that God brings into our view, that, that then God is prompting us to take, we're ready. We are ready to serve. Are we there? Is, is there that eagerness? Again, you know, for many of us, it's not just the act of serving, but, but God cares a lot about the motivation behind it. And God not only, again, wants us to serve Him and, and serve others, but He wants us to enjoy doing it. He, he, he wants us to do it, again, uh, not as a duty, but as a delight. And this was Titus. He had that spirit, if you will, of serving within him. And I think, again, when you and I allow our hearts to be open to God, this is what he wants to build into our lives. Again, I want to take you to another passage of Scripture that just illustrates this principle of readiness to serve. Uh, Keep your finger there in 2 Corinthians and go all the way back to the book of Genesis. Sorry, these things just pop into my head as I get going. And the reason this Genesis 18, this passage is such an, is such an inspiration is, yeah, it's about Abraham. 
And I realize, you know, Abraham, Hall of Fame of Faith, father of, you know, the nation of Israel, all of that. But, but the thing that impressed me about this is, remember, Abraham was a very wealthy man. And the Bible said that he had many servants. He, he had lots of people around him that could do for him. Okay? And the Bible tells us in the immediate context of chapter 17 that Abraham was about 100 years old. So get that. About 100 years old. And I realize, okay, 100 years old then might not be quite as 100 years old today, but it's still 100 years old. So he's 100 years old. He's got all these other servants that could do. And notice in chapter 18, verse 1, the example of Abraham. Abraham is showing us a readiness to serve. The Lord appeared to Abraham by the oaks of Mamre while he was sitting at the entrance to his tent during the hottest time of the day. You don't sit in your tent if you're sane in the hottest time of the day. You get back into the shade The whole reason why Abraham was sitting at the door of his tent, even at the hottest time of the day, because he didn't want to miss anything. That if something was going to happen, he wanted to be right on it. And we see that that's the case. Because notice in verse 2, Abraham looked up and saw three men standing across from him. And when he saw them, this hundred-year-old guy in the heat of the day runs from the entrance of the tent to meet them. And bows low to the ground. This is readiness to serve. Then he says, My Lord, if I found favor in your sight, do not pass by and leave your servant. Let a little water be brought so that you may all wash your feet and rest under the tree. And let me get a bit of food so that you may refresh yourself since you have passed by your servant's home. After that, you may be on your way. All right, they replied, you may do as you say. And not that this is a major part of this tonight, but I believe that one of those visitors that came by the tent of Abraham that day was none other than the Lord Jesus Christ pre-Bethlehem. Abraham, sitting in his tent, hottest part of the day, but here was his heart, I'm ready to serve. Abraham didn't call for his others. Hey, guys, there's three guys out here. Can you guys... T-? No. Abraham ran. Abraham attended. Abraham had the heart of a servant. And when he saw that something needed to be done, he did it. That's that eagerness, that readiness that Paul's talking about that was also in the heart of Titus. And again, this is what God wants to build into our lives. So back to 2 Corinthians chapter 8. When you and I are living this way, there's something very energizing about it. It gives us a second wind in our lives. So going on in 2 Corinthians chapter 8 verse 18. And then he goes on to say, And we are sending along with him the brother who is praised by all the churches for his work in spreading the gospel. Notice the brother's not named. Because that wasn't important. Probably because this kind of brother, whoever it was, didn't do what he did for recognition or acknowledgement. He did it because he loved the Lord. And he wanted to serve others. And so they, they don't acknowledge him. But I get the feeling from studying this that at least the Corinthians probably knew who this guy was. And obviously Paul and The Macedonian churches probably knew who this was. And and it reminds us that, spiritually speaking, you you and I never have to toot our own horn, as they used to say. I know, that's an old saying. But if we're living the way God wants us to live, He'll bring whatever acknowledgement, honor, recognition He wants us to have. We don't need to call attention or draw attention to ourselves. We don't need to live that way. If we're doing what we should be doing, God will honor us in the way that is appropriate. And you see that here in 2 Corinthians chapter 8. Then in verse 19, In addition, this brother has also been chosen by the churches as our traveling companion as we administer this generous gift to the glory of God. Again, as I said earlier, as you begin to read chapter 8 of 2 Corinthians, it is apparent that all of these individuals are of the highest caliber 
and reputation. And this was necessary to ensure the integrity of this financial transaction. I want to zero in, though, on this phrase that Paul uses in verse 19, our traveling companion. I love that phrase. Because, again, that, that goes back to what God, I think, wants to bring into our lives. The right traveling companions can make a difference in our lives. A question I think God wanted me to begin to go back and answer a little bit as I studied this was, who are my traveling companions in my life? Who are your traveling companions? The right traveling companions can make all the difference between living a life where we continually are renewed and refreshed and encouraged and have a second wind to keep on going and where we feel like pulling up the white flag and giving up, throwing in the towel and becoming discouraged. It can make all the difference in the world. Who is it in your life that you truly can share your dreams with and they will listen to you? Who is it in your life that you can cry with? Who is it in your life that you can play with and just cut loose and have a good time? Who is it in your life that can say the hard thing to you when it needs to be said? Who is it in your life that will stick by you whether it's going good or whether it's not? See, having the right traveling companions in our life is huge. And Paul here again in 2 Corinthians is just pointing out that fact by saying, guys, this was just just taking up a collection and gathering it all up and taking it to the saints in Jerusalem. But the people I chose were the best. I cared enough to send the very best. Which also reminded me, say I couldn't do something, but I needed to be represented. And so I needed to pick someone or choose someone to represent me on my behalf. Is there someone or a couple people in my life that I would trust to pick them to take my place as my representative, that would be a traveling companion as well. And let's not miss how awesome our God is. That One of the other things we've learned in 2 Corinthians is that God has chosen us to be his ambassadors, Paul said. God has chosen us to represent him and resemble him before the world. Wow. That's how much God thinks of us. And as we said throughout 2 Corinthians, God doesn't have a plan B. That's His only plan, is us. And God says, I want you to be my traveling companion too. See, that that even makes salvation and accepting Christ as my Savior so much more than just my sins are forgiven, which is wonderful, and I'm on my way to heaven, and I have the Holy Spirit now residing in me, and now I'm a part of the body of Christ and all of that. It, it means that God wants to travel with me down life's road every step of the way, and that I never have to feel like I'm alone, that I'm isolated in any way, that God will be there with me every step of the way. That's the kind of God we have. That's the desire God has for not just being our Savior, but for inviting us to that closest fellowship, that partnership in life. And so often, Jeff Royce has found myself where I'm living life on my own. And yet, I have God who is willing to travel this road with me, and I don't take advantage of that in the right way. More than anything, we need God as our traveling companion through life. 
But beyond the Lord, as we see here in 2 Corinthians chapter 8, God also wants to bring the right people into our lives to be a traveling companion to us. To continually renew, refresh, and encourage us. And and it's mutual. A good friendship, a biblical friendship, is one where there is mutual encouragement back and forth. Where it's not all one-sided. And you see that here in 2 Corinthians chapter 8. Obviously, Paul is also mentioning that this generous gift that is given to the saints in Jerusalem is ultimately for God's glory. And yet he goes on to say at the end of verse 19, not only is this to the glory of the Lord himself, but it is also to show our readiness to help. Again, it's the same word. It's just translated eager in verse 17 and readiness in my translation in verse 19. It simply means zeal, passion. The illustration of Abraham in Genesis 18. How ready are we to help? If, if God was to come and say, Jeff, here's, what I, here's a need. And I'm, I'm prompting you to step up and meet that need. Would, would, I be, would I be ready? Would I just jump on that? Would, would I show a diligence and an urgency? Okay, Lord, I'm there. Or would I begin to go, um, God, could you ask somebody else to do it? Uh, God, I'm, I'm a little bit busy right now. It doesn't fit into my schedule or my plan for the day. Nothing wrong with plans and schedules, but I think as Christians, we've always got to be open to the prompting of the Holy Spirit as we move throughout the day. Because maybe there's an appointment, if you will, that God wants us to have with someone else that we didn't plan on having, but it could change eternity if we're open and we're ready. But this is the whole reason why God wants to continually encourage his people and not see them discouraged because we've already talked in second corinthians 2 about the fact that one of the illustrations of discouragement is a dropped head where people are weighted down with life and and weighted down with whatever they're dealing with or and they go through life like this And when we go through life like this, even if there are needs all around us or God is working over here, we can't see it because our heads are down and we're weighed down. God wants to come into our lives and renew us every day so that he can encourage us, so he can be, as the psalmist says, the lifter of our heads so that we can go through each day looking around and looking up and seeing the needs and the hurts and all of that and be ready to help when God prompts us and stirs us to help. This was the attitude that Paul was saying was in the heart of Titus and in the hearts of these other individuals. And he wanted to see that same attitude in the hearts of the Corinthians once again. Something, something had got into that heart of the Corinthians and changed that a little bit. And and Paul wanted to see that back where they were as ready and eager as they were a year ago. Notice Paul goes on to say also something very important in verse 20. He says, we did this all as a precaution so that no one would blame us in regard to this generous gift we are administering. I love how the Bible is so practical and how it not only teaches us what we should do, but how we should do it. And what Paul is saying by using the phrase, we did this as a precaution, is simply that we took time to make all the necessary preparations so that there would be no fault found or no discreditation on what we were doing. It it just reminds us of the principle that's found in the book of Proverbs and really throughout the Bible that many times the problems that, that we are dealing with Maybe a lot of those could have been prevented had we taken more time up front to think through everything, to think through all the ramifications and consequences of making that choice or that choice or whatever, and truly preparing for this. Taking time to prepare and think it all through before we do it. And Paul said, that's what we did. 
we felt like we did our part. We knew God would show up and do His part if we did our part. And part of our responsibility was to make sure that before we ever started this whole financial thing, that we got in place up front and made all the preparations ahead of time, again, so that no one could point the finger and go, ah, wait a minute, there's something a little shady going on there. Preparation. I think it's one of the reasons why the Bible encourages us to prayer. Because I don't think that there's any greater way that you and I can be prepared by God for anything than to spend time in His presence, praying and listening and just being in His presence. I think that's a great way of preparation. And all of us as Christians know that we just don't pray enough. We don't spend enough time in prayer, especially before decisions and choices that we make. Really important decisions and choices. Many times we might, oh, I pray. I prayed once about that and then I, you know. I think if it's really important, we need to follow the example of the apostles here and take time to make all the necessary preparations. And a lot of times that means spending time in prayer. He goes on in verse 21 to say, We were concerned about what is right, not only before the Lord, but also before men. We were trying to think of beforehand because we care, so that not only would we gain the approval of God, but so we would also gain the approval of men in how this was handled. So in verse 22, again, he goes on to say whether this is the same brother or now another unnamed brother. He says, we are sending with them our brother whom we have tested many times. And here's the word again. And found eager in many matters. Notice Paul reminds us here in verse 22 that it's important that you and I are tested. So that we are proven, if you will, that we can be relied upon. The Bible, especially the book of Proverbs, says there is nothing more frustrating than giving something to someone who's unreliable. Because it never gets done right. It never gets done on time. It ne- and so somehow we give this assignment to someone that's unreliable and then somehow we sit around going, oh my goodness, you know. Well, have we allowed time for them to be tested before we give them service opportunities? Especially the greater service, the the greater privileges, the greater responsibilities require even more testing, more examination. So that so that all of us can can, in a sense, rise up to take on those littler responsibilities and meet those and then God will give us more. God always wants to give us more. But God will test us in the little things first. And if God sees that we are faithful in the little things, then God will give us more. That's why He says, if you're faithful in that which is little... I'll give you more to be responsible for. That's the way God works. So if you and I want God to give us more, if we want to be more responsible and have more privilege, then God simply says, then whatever you've got to manage right now for me, whatever you are a steward of right now, do that well. And if you and I focus on doing what we've got to do right now well, God will give us more. We don't have to, like in the world where we got to scratch and claw to the top and climb the whole corporate ladder thing. and get that's, that's not God's economy. God's economy is that He gives grace to the humble, but He rejects the proud. And when you and I are faithful in the little things, God will give us more. God will give us more. Obviously, this man, brother, whoever he was, had been examined and proved by the apostles, notice, many times. Because again, we all know people can fool us once, maybe even twice. But over a time period, you begin to see what a person's true character, what they're really like, because then you see them not only in different situations, you see them in different, you know, uh, 
different time periods and all of that. You get a, a better, more rounded picture. That's why the Bible even says in the pastoral epistles, don't give a young man who's a new Christian a leadership role in the church. They haven't been tested yet. Let them learn. Let them grow. Let them be trained. Let them be discipled. Let them be mentored. And then after proving themselves many times, then place them in those leadership positions. He goes on to say that this gentleman is now much more eager, verse 22, to come to them than ever because of the great confidence that he has in the Corinthians. Why? Because in his mind, the Corinthians, up to this latest point, had proven themselves to be trustworthy. In fact, Paul commends them. They were the ones that started it all. They were off to a good start. They just weren't maybe quite finishing well. But I love the fact that the Bible teaches us that people like Paul and people like this brother in Christ right here was willing to exhibit confidence in other people. I don't know about you, but I think that's just human. In in my life, when, when I've had someone display confidence in me, it inspired me and encouraged me and gave me that second wind to, to rise to the challenge. They believe in me. They have confidence in me. I don't want to let them down. But we also know that if there are people who don't have any confidence in us too and don't believe in us, and, and again, to balance that out, maybe we've proven ourselves that they shouldn't. But maybe, too, they gave us more than they should have at first. Maybe they didn't give us little things that we could prove ourselves trustworthy or faithful in and then let us go little bits at a time. And it makes a big difference if people believe in you or not. And we all know that when people don't believe in us, we can tend to go to that level as well. I love the fact that in the Bible many times... The followers of Christ said to each other, I believe in you. I believe you can do this well. In fact, read the book of Philemon in the New Testament. Here's a letter that Paul sent to Philemon and basically says, Philemon, I not only have confidence that you're going to do what I've asked you to do, you're going to do even more than I ask you to do. I mean, I'm sure Philemon after it said, yeah, you're right, Paul, I am going to do more. It's like, I'm not going to, I'm not going to let you, I'm not going to not do this well to where you, well, he, he didn't really, he disappointed me. No. And that's what you see here in Second Corinthians as well. I think those are good traveling companions to have in your life. People who truly believe in you and inspire you to, to get the most out of us. And then in verse 23, he says, if there is any question about Titus... He is my partner. Guess what that word means in the original language? Traveling companion. He is my partner. My traveling companion. And fellow worker among you. I want to point this out. Because this has to do with service. The word worker there. The Greek word is where we get our word energy from. So it reminds us that there is an expanse, an expense of energy when you and I are working. There has to be that engagement in what we're doing. We have to, we have to give of ourselves to something. If we're truly serving, then it's going to cost us something. There's going to be an energy expended in some way. Because that's what work is, and God calls us to work. There, there's something noble about work. In fact, God says in the New Testament that if a person doesn't, isn't willing to work, then he shouldn't eat. There's something that brings dignity and honor to people when we work and we work hard. And we have that work ethic where we're willing to expend energy in something. We don't see that a lot. Even amongst Christians anymore. 
where they truly are willing to get in, in a sense, get their hands dirty. But when it happens and when it's there, it's so refreshing. And it can be an inspiration to others. I I just want to skip ahead for just a moment because notice over in chapter 9, verse 2, that Paul says, I keep boasting to the Macedonians about this eagerness of yours that Achaia has been ready to give since last year. And your zeal to participate, your passion, your excitement has stirred up, not all of them, because some people can't be stirred up no matter what. But Paul does say that most of them were stirred up because of you. The words here simply mean to be inspired and motivated. See, again, God can use others and God can use us to be an inspiration and motivation to others. And God can use others to be an inspiration and motivation to us. And when we see Christians who are on fire for God and they've got a passion and an enthusiasm for what God has called them to, it should bring an excitement to us. And then God wants to encourage us and give us a fire for something and for Him and a passion and a zeal for something so that other Christians can look at us and, and you and go, wow, man, they, they inspire me. They motivate me. That's what's happening here in Second Corinthians. All because of these traveling companions. Who Paul goes on to say in verse 23 back to chapter 8, that they are messengers of the churches. Again, they're sent on behalf of someone else. A glory or an honor to Christ. Therefore, Paul says, and we'll end with this verse tonight. He says, show them openly before the churches the proof of your love. I want to stop there because that's an important point. Biblical, godlike love should and must be displayed in some tangible way. I, I can't just, I love you and, and end it there. That's not biblical, Christ like love. That, that would be like God saying to us, I love you. And that would have been it. No, John 3.16 says, God so loved the world that He gave His one and only Son. And His one and only Son left the glories of heaven, the adoration of the angels, placed Himself inside human flesh, allowed those that He created to crucify Him because He loves us. He showed His love for us openly. In fact, so openly that even when He was crucified, He was crucified during Passover in Jerusalem where there would have been the most people, tens of thousands of people, and He was out there on that cross in front of all those people displaying His love. That's why I'm ashamed of myself, as I'm sure Peter felt, whenever there were times in my life where I denied the Lord. Because the Lord never denied me. The Lord was always willing to openly proclaim His love for Jeff Royce. And if you and I are going to love like Jesus loves, if we're going to love as the Bible commands us to love, we need to learn to show our love openly in some tangible way as the proof or evidence of our love. And Paul ends this passage, chapter 8, with, And of our pride in you, or the reason for our confidence in you. As we've said throughout our study of 2 Corinthians, Paul was no, as we say, Lone Ranger Christian. He couldn't have done what he did by himself. He couldn't have gotten to where he got in his life on his own. Obviously, God was the greatest traveling companion that Paul ever had, but he surrounded himself with some amazing people. And that's why he was able to do what he was able to do and accomplish for the Lord Jesus Christ. This coming week, more than anything else, here's what I'd like you to think about. 
Who are those traveling companions in your life? Do you have people in your life that truly give you fuel for living, for God? That they refresh you, they encourage you. They're those kind of people we talked about earlier who can laugh with you and cry with you. and They don't always have to be the same people, but just those type of people. Because Paul is reminding us how important it is to have the right traveling companions around us in life. And I just want to close in saying this to you folks tonight. Um, It has been a wonderful, wonderful four and a half years here on staff at Cornerstone. Uh, I have thoroughly grown a lot, and I have learned a lot from Pastor Lynn all the way down through the staff and all the people here. But I've taught you the same thing that God works on all of us, that every season of life is a preparation for what God has for us to come. And uh, this season of my life here at Cornerstone, in a lot of ways, has been a preparation for what God was calling me to do next in my life. And uh, God has been working on me for quite a while. But like I encourage you not to do, I was wrestling and fighting God and saying, God, I don't want to do this. And God, God just didn't leave me alone. And so uh, I finally said, God, I, I will do this. And uh, we are going to be planting a, a church here in the Phoenix area, in the valley. Um, and uh, that's what we're going to do. And... Uh, Thank you, thank you. I want to say to you folks here in the mine, many of you have been with me for four and a half long years. Why you're still here, I don't know. But uh, it it truly is because of many and, and most of you that I'm at the place I'm at in my life. As I've told you many, many times, You have been such a tremendous encouragement. I mean, there's nothing that encourages someone who teaches anything, but especially the Bible, to see people who each week, week in and week out, who are coming here so hungry to learn the Word of God. There's just nothing better than that. And I know and I have confidence in you all that you will continue to grow And you will continue to learn and you will continue to discover what God has for you and what he's preparing you for. Because God is always preparing us for something. And uh, I wouldn't be standing up here sharing what I'm sharing with you folks tonight if it wasn't for what you've been in my life and being some of the best traveling companions every Tuesday night a guy could ever ask for. And uh, I just want to thank you for that. I will be here again next Tuesday. uh, And then Pastor Lynn is going to take the mine on April the 20th and April the 27th. And then I will come back on May the 4th, the very last mine of this semester, just to sort of say goodbye and wrap up the semester. So I just want to, again, thank... Pastor Lynn and the staff and uh, the elders and everyone here at Cornerstone for the opportunity to be a part of this church for the last four and a half years. And uh, I'm just looking forward to what God's going to do here at Cornerstone. And I'm also looking forward to what God's going to do with us as well in our church. Um, So God bless all of you. Um, Let's close in prayer and... I still left out early. That's pretty good. So why don't we stand?
will be dismissed with prayer this evening. God, I just, I thank you for your grace. Thank you, Lord, for working in my life. Thank you, Lord, for working in these folks' lives and for using them in my life so richly these last years here in the mine. Thank you for the way they've encouraged me and the way they've helped me to grow. They've been an inspiration for me to dive into the Bible every week and to study it as diligently as I possibly can so that I can bring something to them that may encourage them and refresh them in their walk with you. And so, God, I pray your, your greatest blessing on the mine and on these folks as they continue with you. And, God, that as they're opening their hearts to you and to others, that, God, you would just take them places that they never dreamed. And that, Lord, many of them would even just start dreaming about what you could do in and through their lives. God, help us not to limit what we can do by us. Because if we look at us, we see a lot of inadequacy and frailty and failure. But, God, you want us to look to you. And and you want us to let you alone define who we are, what we can become, and and where you want to take us. And so, God, I I just pray that in the days ahead, all of us will just continue to let you define our lives and take us where you desire to take us for your glory and for your honor. Bless these folks, God, again. Just be with them in a special way. You have certainly knit our hearts together over the years. And, And that's not going to change because even as the Bible says... We can be in different physical places and yet our hearts will always be knit together. We will always be one in Christ. And that's so cool. So God, I I just pray tonight that, again, that you would just enrich us all as we leave here and give us a wonderful week. Help us, Lord, to lift up our head And see maybe someone around us who's hurting even worse than we are. That you want us to come alongside and encourage in some way with the encouragement you've given to us. And we ask all this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Folks, I love you. God bless you.